0: The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with ambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.
1: Last week saw the publication of the government's food strategy proposals to a fairly mixed response, but are there silver linings to the cloud?
2: A few years ago, government policy was suggesting that domestic production wasn't necessary to be considered in terms of food security. Well, this report from the government ...nails the point that domestic food production is an important component
1: of our food security. And Lincolnshire Show makes a welcome return this week. What can we expect?
3: In the countryside ring we've got a chainsaw in and a falconry display... Then we have cookery demonstrations with local chefs, um, Rachel Green. And we've got music, entertainment, bandstand, people dancing. There's lots to see and lots to do and obviously lots of places to shop.
1: Plus, we'll review the progress of the crops planted a couple of months ago using different drilling equipment. Sean Sparling can't be with us this week, but we will still have the market reports and the weather for the coming week.
4: The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard.
1: Hello, hope you've had a good week enjoying the sunshine, maybe not so much over the weekend. Last week saw the publication of the government's food strategy proposals to a fairly mixed response, but are there silver linings in the cloud? George Dunn, Chief Exec of the Tenant Farmers Association, joins us. George, you seem to be more positive about the proposals than some.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think when you read through this report... There's a signaling of a change of direction in government policy. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about massive amounts of land being taken out of agriculture production for tree planting, uh, rewilding. And, you know, a few years ago, government policy was suggesting that domestic production wasn't necessary to be considered in terms of food security. Well, this report from the government nails the point that domestic food production is an important component of our food security and the government have set a target that they don't really want the domestic um, supply to be lower than it is at the moment so I think this is a, a positive change in the right direction it hasn't got everything in it that we would want right now but it's a move in the right direction.
1: How are they planning to ensure that domestic food production is kept safe?
2: So they're talking about a relook at the labor needs of the industry, which is something the industry has been talking about for a very long time, uh, the need to ensure that we protect standards on imports, something else the industry has been talking about for a long time and something which the public has been uh, extremely concerned about. They have nailed the issue of ensuring that most of the money that's been paid through things like BPS, the, the basic payment scheme, and the old common agricultural policy derived schemes are going to be on farm-based schemes rather than the schemes that were going to take land out of production. And they're talking about um, food procurement from a public perspective. Again, all of the things that we've been talking about and asking the government to do for a very long time. And here in the strategy, the government is saying, we're going to do these things. Obviously, we need to hold our feet to the fire on this because this is just a, a high-level strategy document. But uh, there's some good, good statements in here.
1: Do you think they seem to be realising at last that environmental concerns notwithstanding, land needs to be used for food production?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And very sadly, it's taken things like the COVID-19 pandemic, the energy price spike, and most recently, the horrendous situation that we see in Ukraine to get us to actually think, actually, we are quite vulnerable in terms of our food and our energy security, Now, what we're not saying is that environmental security doesn't matter. Of course it does, but this strategy brings things into better balance where we can look at food and environmental security hand in hand. We can look at more initiatives which are about land sharing between food production and environmental outcomes rather than land sparing, which is where you simply move land away from agriculture into other uses. So I think that we need to welcome this report, but of course we need to ensure that the government implements the strategies that it now says that it's going to support
1: and they're talking about reforming the rules around public procurement of food local production protecting consumers and so on aren't they
2: yeah and one of the other issues within the report is on fairness within supply chains that makes reference to the legislation that was put into place in the agriculture act 2020 which widened and deepened the ability for the government to ensure that markets were operating fairly, so the producers were receiving fair returns and it signals a desire to to do more in that space as well. So consumer protection isn't just about making sure that things arrive at the right price, it's about ensuring that we have uh, the availability of supply and supply at standards that we all uh, want to keep. So as I say, this is not the end of the, the journey, This is a refocusing of the government's position. I think it's good news and and we need to be working with the government to ensure that we see the plans coming forward to implement it.
1: I guess as ever with these kind of documents, the devil's in the detail. We'll see what the action is after the words. What does the TFA want to see happen next?
2: From our perspective, we are the Tenant Farmers Association. We want to make sure that the tenanted sector has a front and centre place in making this strategy a reality. And some of the schemes that are being brought forward, we know already have some difficulty in terms of tenant access. And we're very pleased that the government have put in place uh, Baroness Kate Rock to look at some of that stuff. So, so that's, that's the first thing that we're trying to make sure that that we have a good basis for which the tenant sector can, can take things forward. But after that, we need to see the government's plans for what they're going to do on labor, what they're going to do in relation to public procurement, what they're going to do in relation to uh, supply chain issues, how they're going to properly implement the uh, commitment that they've given in terms of maintaining standards on food and trade. There's an awful lot of things that we will be asking the government for now that we have the strategy out. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do.
1: But a step in the right direction?
2: A huge step in the right direction. I mean, we, who, who can forget... The 2005 document written in uh, Tony Blair's government with Margaret Beckett as Secretary of State where we all felt deflated because the indication was that food production domestically didn't matter, farmers didn't matter. If we had a food security issue, we could import our way out of any problem. How things have changed in those 17 years and now we have a document that we can really get behind and make sure that the government implements.
1: All right, George, thanks for joining us again.
2: Thanks, Steve, appreciate that.
1: A couple of months ago, we reported from Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward's Direct Drill Day, where several different manufacturers not only exhibited their kit, but each planted two rows of the same seeds under the same conditions, same seed rate, etc. Ten weeks on, how do they compare?
4: Well, when they first came through the ground, funny enough, our Simba Free Flow was the first to come through, and some of them didn't look very good at the start. But as we've gone on, they've all progressed as you look at the field and drive paths you think they've all caught up with each other but when you walk amongst them and actually dig them up we have got some very big differences now in the roots of all the different drills and that's the crucial thing and what we're finding is that the disc drills the roots on those seem to be a little bit worse than the tine drills and we think it's because of the soil disturbance that the tine drills gave us on the day and you saw on the day you came and see you saw them running We had more disturbance, so the roots were able to get through the soil better on the drills that disturbed the ground more than the disc drills that just created a slot. Is this kind of saying that you
1: do need to disturb the soil still to get a better result? Well,
4: exactly. And this is what we have been tending to find on some of our fields, that where you disturb the soil, you do get better crops. So very, very interesting. We're going to take things further and do further assessments, but at the minute, I think the root structure differences is the big thing. And what equipment
1: was actually used? You had various different manufacturers there on the day. What equipment were they using to sow the seed?
4: We had 10 different drills running from Amazon, Weaving, Sumo, Claydon, our Simba Free Flow, Horsch, Horizon and Sky Easy Drill. And the idea was they were direct drilling into land that hadn't been disturbed at all or cultivated Some, And that was the idea of it, Steve, to see how the drills would cope in heavy clay situations because we are having real problems here trying to get cover crops and direct drilling work on our really difficult clay soils.
1: Okay, and we'll be harvesting these roughly when? End of August,
4: early September. But before that, we're going to do some more tissue tests to see what's in all the plants. And obviously at harvest, we are going to be doing some yield assessments with our combine. So we'll have lots and lots of data from, from all the uh, different machines working, which is going to be fantastic to analyse.
1: Fascinating stuff. We'll uh, do a much more detailed review of the results come harvest time. But for now, Andrew Ward, thank you very much for the update. Great.
4: Thanks, Steve.
0: The Farming Programme, with our steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years.
1: Lincolnshire Show returns for the first time in three years this week really looking forward to it and if you're going do let me know and come and say hello. The showground chief exec is Jane Southall and she's with us now. Jane good morning.
3: Hello good morning Steve. So
1: on a scale of 1 to 10 how excited are you? Uh,
3: 11.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And why would that be then?
3: Oh, it's just because we haven't had the Lincolnshire show for two years, so it's exciting and also a bit nervous, I suppose, just remembering how we did things. We've got um, a smaller team and some of the people are new, but uh, we're all working together and making sure that we deliver a fabulous show.
1: I'm sure it will be a fantastic show. Just for those who've never been before, this is not just for farmers, is it? There's tons of stuff going on over the next couple of days.
3: There is. I mean, it's a great agricultural show and we do pride ourselves in that. So, for instance, in the main ring. We've got Ben Atkinson, which is an action past horse team. We do have an iconic tractor parade because people do like, obviously, vintage tractors and sort of new tractors. In the countryside ring, we've got... Um, Chainsaw in and a falconry display and then we have cookery demonstrations with local chef Rachel Green and we've got music entertainments bandstand people dancing there's lots to see and lots to do and obviously lots of places to shop
1: It's so good to be back though you talk about the gap of the last couple of years it really is such a, a relief having the show again isn't it?
3: It is. We were devastated in 2020 when the show couldn't go ahead and obviously at that time you wouldn't have thought that 12 months later we'd be in the same position. But yeah, we're really excited that it's back now and uh, you know we've got all the stewards still on board with us even though there's a two-year gap and without the stewards we couldn't actually put the show on.
1: So lots of guys with bowler hats as usual, which is such a great Correct. sight to see. What What is it that, about the show? I know it's special to us in, in Lincolnshire, but what is it about the show do you think that makes it so special?
3: From our point of view it's such a big event and it's great to put it on and there's so much to see and so much to do but we still have kept a sort of our agricultural roots and we just believe it. it's a, it's a really good two days uh each year um and you know it's 137th a year so um, the only times it's been cancelled before was for foot and mouth with the wars, and then obviously now with COVID. So um, it's you know it's great it's still going after 137 years.
1: Loads of animals to see. Have we got anybody parachuting out of the sky this year?
3: Yeah, we've got the falcons parachuting, which is going to be great. We have got a hurricane and a spitfire fly past as well. And the Grand Parade of the Livestock as well. And obviously the weather's looking good, which is great. And there's lots of catering areas and places for you to eat. Or if you want to bring a picnic, you're more than welcome to bring a picnic as well. So.
1: Well, fingers crossed, as you say, the weather's looking set fair for the couple of days, so uh, assuming that actually comes true, which it looks like it should be doing, have a wonderful couple of days, Jane. All the best for this year's show.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: And what does the NFU have to offer at the show? County organiser Rhonda Thompson. Good morning, Rhonda. How are you? Oh,
0: good morning, Steve. Very good, thank you.
1: Good, good. Looking forward to the return of the Lincolnshire show after three years. Can't wait, eh? Oh,
0: really? It's a lot of work but you know it's such an amazing couple of days and it showcases the best of Lincolnshire so really looking forward to it.
1: And you're going to be there in your capacity as county organiser for the NFU. What will be on the NFU stand this time?
0: We've got a very busy day actually. I think you came to the farm safety event at Mm. Newark and you probably saw the presentation between Louth Fire Service and our Louth member Ian Watson about the adapters and some on-farm fire service training. We've got a presentation on both days with, with Links Fire and Rescue. Last week actually we went to an awards dinner and Louth Fire Services won a community award uh, for Best initiative. And the NFU were also recognised. We got an award for that as well, which was lovely. We've also got a fire engine on site. So that will be something really nice for people to take the children to have a look at. On the first day, we have the Shadow Defer Minister, Daniel Zeichner, coming. And he will be uh, laying out the Labour vision of farming, where they see the future of farming and how they would work with the farming constituents if they were in power. And I've arranged a lunch with five young members, So, I think that would be quite nice that we're giving the younger generation an opportunity to uh, have a conversation with him. And it's their future as well, but that, you know, some of them have got a lot longer in front of them than than some of our members.
1: That was very Um, tactfully put, Rhonda.
0: (laughs) <laughs> but it's but it's true you know if, if i when i meet with members we get different types of questions and also you know some of the people that i'm going to put in front of him are looking to get into farming which is so positive steve it is an amazing industry and it's great that we've got so many young people still wanting to to, to do this as a career and and anything we can do to encourage them and to highlight their concerns or questions you know it's got, it's got to be a good thing hasn't it
1: absolutely
0: anything else on day two, we have our Vice President David Exwood coming. He'll be talking to members about his experience of the NFU and he's a tenant farmer. So he obviously is bringing a slightly different experience to the role. He's also going to go along to the LRSN breakfast. So I'm going to get him on the health hub and as many other willing volunteers as I can get their arm at their back will be going on the health hub to get themselves checked out.
1: It's a busy old programme from the NFU. Rhonda, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Rhonda talks about young farmers and those wanting to join the industry. I have on the phone someone who's very young and already in farming. The youngest exhibitor at the Lincolnshire show ever, Joe Tropher Cook. How old are you, Joe?
5: Ten years old.
1: Which animals are you going to be taking to the show?
5: My sheep and my lambs.
1: Okay, how many have you got? Uh,
5: Butterbeans you use at the show, isn't she? Yeah. And then I'm taking some lambs.
1: So why did you start keeping sheep then? Because your mum and dad aren't farmers, are they?
5: No, yeah, my mum's just had horses. Um, for my seventh birthday, my grandad brought me a raised bed. I started growing plants and then when they was ready, I picked them and sold them. And then I asked my mum to see if I could have four little sheep just to go in the field. And then I brought a ram, basil. And then I started breeding and brought a and um, four-horn pedigree, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to be a shepherd.
1: Well, it sounds like you already are. It's fantastic. <laughs> How does it feel to be the show's youngest ever exhibitor?
5: Happy and, yeah, yeah proud of myself.
1: Yeah, so you should be. What's your advice then, Joe, to anybody who wants to become a farmer?
5: Well, it's just living your dream, really, and um, really spending time with your animals.
1: And you obviously love the outdoors. Do you, you want to be a full-time farmer then when you finish school?
5: Definitely,
1: yeah. Now, you've done all sorts of things like growing vegetables and you've kept the animals. When you become a farmer, will it be animals or will it be crops?
5: Uh, Both.
1: You're going to be a busy chap, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) I think you're fairly busy already by the sound of it. Yeah,
5: busy already. When you're a farmer, there's there's always
1: a job to do. That's absolutely true. Joe. have a wonderful show. I'll come and see you next Wednesday. Yeah,
5: thank you.
1: That's Joe Cook, who's going to be the youngest exhibitor ever at the Lincolnshire Show since it was launched 137 years ago. Great stuff. Well done, Joe. What a lovely guy. Now, there's over 60,000 people expected at the show. It's been too long. We'll see you there. Details at lincolnshireshow.co.uk. It's also groundswell this week. The Farming Programme's Andy Marsh spoke to organiser Tim Cherry recently and got a quick summary of what will be in Hertfordshire on Wednesday and Thursday.
6: It's now a conference and a farming show, which started six years ago just as a sort of drill show, and then we would sort of realised that actually it was more interesting to not just to sort of people looking at machinery, but also to be able to learn and listen to experts from all over the world. And so we now run the seven stages, have all the major direct drills drilling in, into sort of cover crops, about two hundred static exhibitors on, on site.
1: And you sort of have a philosophy that underpins the whole of this about different ways of working for agriculture when you're talking about the soil.
6: Absolutely. I mean, regenerative agriculture is a relatively new term. If you'd said it five years ago, people wouldn't really know what it was. The philosophy behind regenerative is to look after the soil because the soil is looking after us. It's about minimising soil disturbance. It's about introducing livestock into the rotation. It's lots of things, but it's basically trying to mimic nature. And In nature, soil is very rarely disturbed. The more you can let soil get on with it, introduce living roots, Roots into the soil, then you'll get more back from the soil and hopefully spend less money. It's a compelling argument. There are lots of benefits, but it's also not just a case of throwing away the plough. It's far more complicated than that, as we know, soil varies so much in this country. That was really how Groundswell started. We just realised that there was so much knowledge to receive and to impart that we thought, well, why don't we put a show on?
1: There's all you need to know at groundswellag.com. To the markets now, starting with livestock from Laos. Good morning to auctioneer Oliver Chapman.
7: Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Laos, starting with the prime cattle, with the steers averaging 252 pence per kilo, and topping for JS s Brooks and Strubby at 265 pence per kilo and grossing £1,497. Prime heifers average all in 244 pence per kilo and gross 250 pence per kilo, or £1,322 per head for John Scully of Bournemouth. OTMs and Cool Cows, OTM heifers average 193.5 pence per kilo and sell to 199 pence per kilo or £1,115 per head for A.H. Benge of Goldsby, while Cool Cows top at 173 pence per kilo and sell to £1,397 per head for R.W. and T. Mountain of Great Carlton. Moving on to the sheep, and Louth this week is the dearest place to sell sheep, with an SQQ of 338.1 pence per kilo and an all-in per head average of 145 pounds and 15 pence, which would be some 15 to 20 pence dearer than anywhere else. Top came for Scribblesby Farms Limited at 370 pence per kilo, or Emma Benge of Woodall Spa at 159 pounds per head. Prime Hogs just a handful on offer or an SQQ of 256.8 pence per kilo with a top for Ben and Pippa Williams at 278 pence per kilo and M Fleet Chapman across from Newark at £148 pounds per head. On to the cool ewes, and again, a tremendous trade right the way through. season, all-in average of £162.82, with a top for Emma Benge at £226 per head, with plenty more best-ended continentals between £200 and £220. Finally, store sheep and just a handful of ewes and lambs on offer. Top for M Fleet Chapman across from Newark at £92 per life. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week, both buyers and vendors. Numbers are required weekly to meet buyer demand, so please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. And the grain market update from Openfield's Alice Killam.
8: Morning, Alice. Morning, everyone. I'm going to start this week with a bit of a reflection. As someone who is still very new to the world of grain, trying to trade in a market that has £20 rallies on the back of a president's statement seems like a minefield. There's been lots to get excited about, so keeping a clear mind can be very difficult. I've had many conversations this past few weeks with farmers who have been slightly disappointed they missed the market when it was at its peak. I think we need to look at the bigger picture here. The prices we are seeing even today are still extremely impressive. The stuff of dreams a year ago. I think it's important we don't forget this by getting swamped in headlines and market swings. Despite the cereal supply and demand situation remaining tight this week, gains have been somewhat capped on the back of a rising global inflation rates. We have started to see some more old crop feed wheat come out of the woodwork, but buyers are disappearing very quickly. The grain markets have recovered from their recent lows as hopes of progress on the humanitarian corridor faded with the Ukraine unwilling to accept the terms of the offer. The latest development is a proposal by the USA to build silos on the Ukrainian borders to temporarily store grain. The important question to ask is what effect these will have on the nearby export capacity. Who pays and how long it will take to build the silos is still unclear. Headlines from the USDA May report were that wheat production was reduced in India although some may say not as much as anticipated, and an increase in Russia, again, not as much as some analysts anticipated. Midweek, we saw some heavy selling on the US futures, although London Liffey fared better, due only really to the weakening pound. This is due to a combination of global sell-off on the stock markets and the UK government trying to rewrite the rules they made on how to get goods over the Irish border. Mention of a heatwave in the US continues to be talked up, which won't be welcome if it continues into the critical pollination month of July. Parts of Europe have also turned hot. We will have to see what effect this has on quality. It has to be said that crops are looking rather well after a bit of rain and some sunshine over the past week or two. There's still plenty to be optimistic about. On to barley. The winter barley harvest in France, the Balkans and Ukraine is now underway. So far, French winter quality is average to above average yield. Early spring barley in the south and west is usually more variable, with yields from 5.5 to 7 tonnes per hectare and much more mixed quality. It is still early to be commenting on yields too much yet, so we will have to watch the progress. Denmark continues to lead the field in selling its 2022 crop, as export malting barley prices have weakened again in the last week our market has stalled. With recent falls on the wheat futures markets, molsters and brewers feel the malting premium over feed barley is now too high, so they have withdrawn, expecting harvest pressure to reduce values further. On to all-seed rape... Prices for all seed rape have responded on the back of soya prices coming down. Demand destruction is still playing a part as values got too high. Demand rolled back and therefore we now seen the prices edging down. Malaysia have also approved export permits for palm oil after a three week long hiatus. This has also had a part to play in a drastically lower French motif screen. These values are still very good and they have come down from very high levels. There's still a lot to play out. Tuesday, we saw a rise on the motif, which was fuelled by farmers' uncertainty over the impact of the heatwave and the expectations of a strong export demand on Ukraine's shipments remain uncurbed by the Ukrainian invasion. Storing rapeseed, if possible, seems the most logical solution in a market that remains one of the most volatile. On to your prices for this week. Feed wheat, August 275-285, September 290-300, November 295-305. With milling wheat premiums currently around thirty pounds, barley August two four eight to two five eight, September two five five to two seven two, November two six nine to two seven nine, with molting premiums around seventy to eighty pounds this week. Oilseed rape July six one six to six two six, September six twenty to six thirty, and November six two five to six three five. Have a great week.
1: Thanks to Alice and Oliver. Back same time next week. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A dry, sunny and hot week across Lincolnshire. Very little rain, just light and variable winds all week. Relatively high pressure keeps things stable, with daytime highs in the upper teens today to the upper 20s by Friday, and nighttime lows between 10 and 12 Celsius. Sean Sparling's back with us next week. I'm pleased to say, with some timely agronomy advice, we'll report from The Lincolnshire Show and talk mental health in farming. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week on The Farming Programme, have a good one. The Farming Programme. With our steel stockholders,
5: Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts.